This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. And welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. Today's episode, I will be speaking with Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In today's episode, Colin and I will discuss the Spurs in their last three games and the early details that are reported about the new CBA agreement between the NBA and the uh, NBA Players Association. Let's jump right into this episode with Colin. Colin, how you doing? I am doing well. You know, I I think I talk a lot about like efficient. See, I post graphs on Twitter. I talk about the CBA and just to give like people a little background on like how bad it is. I was up last night at like 11 PM. I was like, okay, this is the deadline. I had a little whiskey. I was on speakerphone with my brother and we were like refreshing the timeline. And then it hit midnight and I was like, I'm going to bed. But, but then he was like, <laughs> if you're awake at any hour of the night, text me, whatever happens. So we, uh, we turned it into a little event and we were like, no one else is talking about it, but it's been, uh, it's been exciting to start to see the details leak out through the day uh this is something that really is exciting for me and it's interesting because the nba has become so transactional in terms of what fans care about and this is going to impact every aspect of that for fans so you know it's kind of fun to get a little bit of an early picture on the rules are just changing they're going to be similar but they're changing which is is kind of exciting for us for sure, Colin. So, um, so listeners, if you want to know what's going on with the NBA and the NBA PA, it's, it's that, like Colin said, they had until March 31st to, um, you know, at least to, to come to some sort of verbal agreement. If not, there was a chance that, you know, if there was a disagreement, well, then we could end up with, you know, down the road, a lockout like we've had in previous years. And there was no chance of that happening, uh, most likely from the details. So they did uh, come into a verbal agreement on a decision. Uh, and so the thing that the hard part, though, is that that the details are getting leaked out very slowly by all the, you know, the, the main reporters like Woj, Shams, Bobby Marks, those kind of uh, reporters. So, again, Colin and I, I do you want to note, we'll, we'll give a timestamp. We're recording on a Saturday evening at 830 Mountain Time because, like we said, there's going to be new details coming out that maybe we didn't address. But we at least want to go into what's been reported so far and how that's going to mainly focus on how does that impact Spurs um, short term? You know, what's going to be some of the immediate changes we're going to see in San Antonio? So before we do that, Colin, dive into the new CBA agreement. Let's first talk about the Spurs, you know, okay, so the season's almost over, man. Five more games, they're on a six losing. Uh, let's just go through the last three games. We won't go into too much detail because, again, they were losses. Um, so we go back to Sunday. Uh, the Spurs are at, on the road at Boston. They lose by 44 points. Um, this was a close game until midway through the third quarter. Then Boston goes up by 15, and the, the, lead, uh, the lead balloons all the way to 47 points. And so the spur of the game on this night for San Antonio was Zach Collins. Then on Wednesday, the Spurs had a chance to win a game. They, they lost at home their final game in the AT&T Center for this season by 11. Uh, it was close until three minutes into the fourth. Then Utah goes up by 19. Um, San Antonio pushed a late to get within seven, but the Utah held on. Uh, this one was crazy for uh, T- Taylor Horton Tucker. He went off for 41 points against San Antonio. The Jazz were only favored by two because just like the Spurs, they were they got a lot of their players due to injury or rest. Um, and mostly, um, and, and the best player for San Antonio this night was Devontae Graham. And then the most recent loss, Colin, came on Friday. The Spurs are on the road at Golden State. They actually, um, you know, if you, if you betted on this game, you lost some money last night. So the Warriors were favored by 17 and a half, and they ended up winning by just 15. San Antonio actually played a, a very surprising game considering they had Vassell out. They had uh, Jeremy Sohan out. Zach Collins was out. So there was a lot of players out for San Antonio. They kept it close with Golden State. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, Golden State kind of took them control. They went up by 18, and then, you know, they, they walked off the floor with a comfortable win. Gorgie Jang had a good night for San Antonio off the bench with 14 points and 10 rebounds in just 17 minutes of play. So, again, Colin, the Spurs weren't expected to lose uh, to win these games. They've had multiple players out due to injury almost every night now. Uh, what are your thoughts on them going 0-3 in these last three games? 
Yeah, I, I wrote a piece early in the season about how the Spurs are rebuilding and not tanking because I thought, you know, it matters the words that we use. And a big part of my argument was the Spurs are going to get out talented every night, but they're going to execute. Yeah. They're not going to do some of these like big tanking things like shutting players down and having players sit out for long stretches of time with like tiny little injuries. And somewhere around halfway through the year that changed. And like that's that's kind of been the story for a lot of the year. You know, we saw Devin Vassell get shut down for a long patch of time. And and some of these are probably very real, but it definitely is one of those things where it's like if there's any risk of playing on an injury making it worse for these players, they have no incentive to do so. So like early on in the year they were losing but they were competitive every time. And now, you know, over the past couple months, it's definitely been just a thing of like, well, when they're at full health, they're losing close, but they've just been so depleted. And and some of it is like, as, as someone who's just looking from the outside in, like how much of this is real versus how much of this is like strategic sitting. Um, I think the only other point of note is, uh, and, and you know, you see a 47 uh, point lead. Uh, by the Celtics that ends up in a 44-point game and stuff like that. The only game, you know, I, I look at these games and I analyze them. I'm not sitting here rooting for outcomes. But, you know, the idea that um, Wednesday's game was Pop's last game at the AT&T Center ever is is on the table. And I, I mm-hmm. was hoping that the tanking Spurs could maybe pull that one out for him just in terms of can they win Pop's last game in the AT&T Center because he might be back next season, but he might not. So it's like this is, mm-hmm. you know, a shot to do it. And, like, it was competitive during some of it, but, you know, ultimately the Jazz pulled away. So Yeah, and going back to what you wrote earlier in the season, the idea that it's not just, like, straight up just tanking. It's like, like you said, they're, they're, they're developing, but they're just going to get out-talented every night. And I think you see that in these – because I, I, what I was this year was I just did these um, visual graphics where um, it shows kind of like the every six minutes of the, or every three-minute increment of the game. And we noticed almost like quarters one through three, it's close throughout. And then, of course, the quarter – it just balloons away for the other team. And that's kind of been the trend. And and again, it shows to what you said, just the other team just has more talent, especially with San Antonio in this place now of, of, of rest players, players on, on injury management uh, kind of systems. It's just, they're getting out talented at the end of the day. But again, they're at least showing that they can be competitive for 75% of the game almost every night. It, it, it like, it's rare that they get just blown out right from the second quarter, you know, 20 point deficit. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't really happen for this team. It's a, usually a gradual process where they finally just fall apart late in the game. All right. So Colin, now this team has completed 77 games. Like I mentioned earlier, there's just five games left. They are on a six game losing. They're 19 and 58 overall. They have one of the things about that, that Wednesday game you mentioned against the jazz was that with that loss, it actually locked them in for a bottom three record. So, so now they're at the point where they, they have the third worst record, but Charlotte can no, no longer catch them uh, to, to get to end up with the bottom three record. Uh, and they can actually, they might actually be able to end up with the, with the bottom two record. If uh, they can catch Houston, Houston won recently and the Spurs lost. So that's going to be something to watch. I think that Detroit's kind of run away with that um, with the worst record overall. So again, they're going to have those 40% chance uh, lottery odds going for the number one pick for sure. All right, so now, Colin, let's go ahead and jump into the to the new CBA, some of the changes. So I'm going to go ahead and display this. So, again, um, so if you're, if you're listening on audio, thank you for listening. Uh, if you're watching the video, this is where you're going to see a lot more of the details um, that Colin and I are going to go over. So what I have here is some of the main bullet points that are coming from, I want to give credit to um, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, Sham Sharani of The Athletic, Bobby Marks of ESPN, and also um, – uh, what's the other ESPN re- uh, reporter who's real plugged into this stuff? Uh, Tim Bontemps has been really plugged yes. into this. So this is where I'm getting all of the information from their articles and, the, and their tweets. Um, so so the notable changes to the new CBA agreement, and it is good for for seven years coming up once they once they get in, um, on paper. 
an agreement, uh, and, and there is an opt-out after, after year six. So the first thing let's talk about, and, and I have all the things displayed here, um, mainly by, by, um, by bullet points of what's important, but the ones that are underlined are what's going to kind of impact the Spurs, can impact the Spurs immediately. That's why I put them, um, uh, I, I underline these. So let's go for the first one, Colin. This is, this is a, a penalty for tax teams. So there's now going to be a second salary cap apron if a team goes $17.5 million over the tax line with major patients for high spending teams. So these are teams like the Warriors, like the Clippers, teams that just, you know, are way overspenders. Uh, so, so some implications if you do that is that there's not going to be no tax Two years ago, when Patty Mills went and signed with the Brooklyn Nets, when they were a tax team, that would not be possible now with these new with these new rules. Uh, they can't use cash in a trade uh, in trades. They can't move first round picks that are seven years away. That one doesn't make that one doesn't sound too. Um, I wasn't I wasn't sure if that's exactly what they wanted to write. I maybe explain that one a little bit better to me because I I wasn't really um, understanding that one too well. Uh, they're they're not allowed to sign free agents in the buyout market. Uh, these tax teams, and then they also can't take on money in trades that are that that's uh, less money that's being sent out. So so they can't acquire more money if they're sending out a player, that kind of system. So this does impact the Spurs because they're going to be a team right now that has a lot of cap space. So they're not a tax team, but they are a team who can trade with other tax teams. And also, like, if they're one of their veteran players uh, wanted to go on the buyout market, well, now that veteran player can go and sign with one of these championship contenders. So that kind of eliminates some of that process. What are your thoughts on that first uh, update about the tax teams? So... That is a huge development. And just real quick, because Eric Pincus, another guy who's really plugged in, yes. um, he had a mm -hmm. tweet. And, and this is, you know, this is all the caveats that you said. But again, you know, we just want to remind folks so that we're not, you know, in six months, people are like, well, you said it this way. Uh, he said, and, you know, he is super plugged in with all the machination to this mm -hmm. stuff. He's helped teams understand the cap. He said, we don't have anything close to the full details yet. And some items mm -hmm. may not even be agreed upon with major points just locked in. What I get or uh, what gets reported and what is usually is a gap and we'll see what ends up being truly what is. And one, one thing that we've already seen with that and that we're going to get to here in a bit is uh, the in-season tournament reward was being reported 500,000, 500,000, 500,000. Yeah. And then today on the, on the Woj pod, Woj was like, no, 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 that has not been agreed to yet. Like that number hasn't been agreed to yet. So some of these things might change a little bit. I think the, uh, the seven years away. So right now you can trade draft picks up, to mm -hmm. seven years in the future so now mm -hmm. if a team has had the second apron if i'm understanding this correctly they can only trade picks up to six years in the future so that would be like when the new league calendar hits most teams could trade their 2030 pick but teams that hit the mm -hmm. second apron could only trade their 2029 and the reason why oh, okay, okay. that becomes really impactful is because you can't you need at least one draft pick in back-to-back -back years so if there's a team that hit the second apron but they have all their own draft picks and they want to make the godfather offer which has generally been four picks plus pick swaps they can't do that anymore they can only do three picks plus pick swaps so um all of a sudden their ability to make the godfather offer which is also limited in all of the other ways that we're seeing here they would need to take back uh, less money than they're sending out, which if you're acquiring a superstar player would be hard, all that kind of stuff. But they can only send out three picks in trades when they're at the second apron, if even if they have all their picks. So that really restricts the ability of these teams that have hit the second apron to make trades. And uh, when you look at mm -hmm. not only that, but them not being able to use the tax MLE, them not being able to use cash in trades, uh, not being able to sign free agents on the buyout market, Teams that are on the second apron, they're, I'm not going to say they don't have any avenue to get better, but their avenues to get better are much smaller. Um, 
Now, here's a really interesting wrinkle. Um, the buyout is not something in the CBA. It's a combination of two different uh, functions that come together. One is that you can waive a player at any time. And another one is that a player and a team can come together and decide to reduce the amount of guaranteed money that a player is owed. And those two things happening mm -hmm. at the same time is what we call a buyout. But there can be free agents that haven't been signed on the market at any time. So how, how are they going to restrict, my question, the yeah. buyout market? Are they going to say, you can't sign any players after a certain date? That would be kind of crazy. Are they going to say, you can't sign any players that were waived from other teams? Like, that might be what they're going for. Like, Yeah, I think yeah. that's what they're going for. Yeah. So that, that, it just, that, that vagueness there could, could be very interesting. It probably is going to be the more conservative one there, but yeah, they don't, they don't have a whole lot of options if you're in that second tier to get much better. So there's always a lot of unintended consequence, but I think the hope is that this will bring some more parity to the league. This first point in yes. particular. Exactly. From from my interpretation, it's like you're gonna if you're gonna build these superstar teams where you're putting two stars together, like the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Well, then, hey, you're not. It's gonna be hard to fill out your role players and mm -hmm. you know and the of your team. And so that's gonna make these teams not maybe not tear away from doing that model just because. Uh, and like again, the reason why I think it does impact the Spurs is, and we don't think that the Spurs will be a tax team. They're long from that. Um, but the fact that like setting up better players, like you know, to go to be a buyout player, and then go play somewhere else, like those kind of. That, that's going to change a little bit differently. And also because, because San Antonio's going to have a cap room, they can be a team. It's going to change the way they, that they do trades even with uh, tax. Teams. So that's why I think that is important and, and it is a concern San Antonio. All right, Colin, let's go to the next two, um, the next two bullet points here uh, are here. Um, there's going to be a larger trade exceptions for teams in the middle and lower end of the payroll. So right now San Antonio is more so in the lower end of the payroll. Uh, we haven't got the specific details of what it means. Uh, and then also there's new and expanded exceptions. So there's going to be 7.5% increase to the MLE. Um, the, the Spurs wouldn't fall into that. They're not projected to this coming summer. But the one I want to talk about is what the Spurs, what will impact the Spurs is there's going to be a 30% increase to, to the room exception. So again, we expect the Spurs to have cases this off season. So that means that they're going to have access to that $5.8 million room exception. If this 30% um, increase happens, well then now that $5.8 million goes to $7.6 million that San Antonio can offer to a free agent. And again, I think that just makes it a more attractive for two free agents that, you know, yeah, they see the Spurs are, are this bottom three team who are, are currently um, rebuilding, but it gives them more incentive because it's more money to co maybe come and sign to San Antonio, be a, a veteran presence in that locker room or, or take a position that the Spurs need uh, to be filled. What are your thoughts on, on those, on those two changes? Yeah. So um, going to the trade exception, that one is really interesting. Uh, and I have a couple ideas on what that could mean, because with what trade exceptions are right now, it doesn't actually really make any sense. So trade exceptions, as most of the time when you hear someone say trade exceptions, what they're talking about is a um, non-simultaneous trade where one team trades another player into cap space. And the team that didn't receive anything back gets a trade exception of the size of that player. Uh, now it doesn't really make sense to put a multiplier on that. Like, oh, well, if you trade 10 million into space, if you're a low to middle team, now you actually get a $12 million trade exception because they yeah. said that the, that the their specific verbiage was something like the trade and the free agent exceptions will be better for teams in the middle to low end of the payrolls. So this, mm -hmm. what I'm about to say would be crazy. It might be far out there. It might sound stupid in July 1st or even in an hour, but I'm yeah. wondering if... They're going to make it where you can take on 
players in trades using the room exception of the MLE because that wasn't allowed before. Mm. Yeah, correct. So yeah. I'm wondering if this uh, larger trade exceptions for teams in the middle to low end is more of the MLE or the room exception can actually be used as a trade exception because with the MLE and the room exception both increasing, and let's say hypothetically they did allow it to be a trade exception, that would match the reporting that we've heard of uh, free agent exceptions and trade exceptions are going up for these low, low end teams are going to be the room exception and the middle teams are going to be the MLE. So that kind of strikes all the bases in one quick thing. Um, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking might be going on, which would be really cool. Uh, that would be a fairly big change, honestly, if you could use the MLE as a trade exception. Um, but uh, just because the, the language has been so vague, that's been my best yeah. guess at what's happening there. Um, now okay. for the Spurs yeah. to even use the room exception, they do have to like use their cap space first. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I, I thought I, about I, that. I they, didn't even, they didn't even use the room exception for this season because they're still like what, like nine or ten million below the cap like, at this. Point. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, maybe if they get a high pick and they start like gunning for it, maybe that seven point six million yeah. could be, you know, mm -hmm. very useful to sign a veteran who's interested in playing with like a young team that has some um, upside and you know they fill out all of the roster and now they need to use a room exception yeah I, i'm not saying that but it's possible and and you know it's, it's one of those things where it's good to have underlined because it probably doesn't affect them this year but it probably will the year after or the year after that like this is going to come to bear fruit for the spurs in the near future even if it doesn't this year for sure, I totally agree there, and, and I'm I, like you said, we we haven't got the uh, details on the trade exception, but I am wondering if there are going to allow access to those exceptions to be used, uh, the, the, like the MLE or the or the, or the room MLE, because uh, they haven't been able to be used uh, in that situation in the past. All right, the next one I, I didn't underline this one, but let's just go through it. It says uh, to be eligible for end of season awards such as the MVP and All NBA teams, a player must play in 65 games. Now this is more so uh, targeted toward the the stars who are you know they're the the fact that they're always sitting out games or they're hurt or they're they're, in, they're resting for games. Again, this doesn't really impact the Spurs because right now um, they don't really have a player that's projected to be like, you know, an all-NBA player right now with the roster that, that they have together. So, again, um, that's just something to watch for, for the future case. Well, maybe, you know, maybe these, these current Spurs players does, ha you know, have a breakout season next year. But right now, none of their players look at they're on that trajectory. Um, the, here, that's going to impact San Antonio. There's going to be, like you said, there, there's they haven't said for sure if it's going to happen next season, but they are agreeing on an in-season tournament. And so if it does happen next year, it could happen most likely uh, in November. And so I think this one's important for San Antonio because even if they are a rebuilding team and let's just say they're going to go for another another tank, let's say, let's say they don't get Victor Wimbanyama, they end up just for another tank season. Well, hey, at least that's something to be at least some, somewhat more competitive for, for November just to see if, hey, can you win an in-season tournament or get close to that and that make that be like the prior season rather than just going through a whole season where you're going to win like 19 games like this current season. What are your thoughts on the in-season tournament if it does happen in November? Yeah, so uh, I have a couple of thoughts regarding the Spurs specifically because it's, it's really, really interesting to think about the timing of this for the Spurs. So I think... That in 10 seasons, if it's still around, that means it's a success. And if it's still around in 10 seasons, I think it will have gained meaning to be, because they're going to give this a name, you know, I I don't mm -hmm. even know, but like the Michael Jordan Cup or whatever, right? It's going to be something to be the champion of the Michael Jordan Cup. It's not going to be that right now, but it might mean that, or they might just go like the WNBA around and call it the Commissioner's Cup. It, it's not going to mean that right at first, but if it continues to be existing, it's going to matter to teams later on down the road. 
And, you know, people at HaHa, ha, $500,000. Like, you know, if you're a minimum player making less than $2 million, that's like a 20% bonus right there, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, and, I, you know, on the Woj pod today, they brought up a really good point of the fact that, like, every single game in this tournament, except for the final four, uh, or the final three games, but, like, the final four teams are regular season games. So yes. it's not like teams are going to go like, oh, this is part of the tournament. Well, I'm going to lose this game on purpose now. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Um, and mm-hmm. if you're one of the final four teams and you go to Vegas, they're not going to be like, well, I don't want to win this, so I'm going to throw this game. Like, if you get there, you're going to try. Now, earlier on in the season, the Spurs won like four of their first six or four of their first seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I think, so he, my crazy galaxy brain thing is even if the Spurs are bad again next year, I think that before people care about this as much, early on in the season, when all, the Spurs are playing all their guys, everyone's fresh, they have this new lottery, high lottery talent, I think they have a chance to like sneak in there. If they can have a start of the year like they did this year, and if mm-hmm. you get in there, it's single elimination. If they make it to the Final Four in Vegas, like anything's on the table. So it's going to be really crazy because I think in the future, I think teams are going to care enough where – you're going to see those, like the mid-tier playoff teams to the championship contenders are going to be the teams that are really competing for this. But I think the first couple of years, you can have some like young teams sneak in there. It's going to be exciting from that perspective. Um, and I think it's going to be a really cool, like, I mean, you're going to get, like, for so long we complained, Warriors-Cavs every finals, right? But now we're going to have whatever it's called, Commissioner's Cup or whatever, Um Kings versus Cavs, these two exciting young teams in the finals on TV, you know, and like that might not be exciting for the guy that only likes the Lakers or whatever, but like it, there's it's gonna be a spectacle of these teams that normally wouldn't get to be on that big stage. And so I, I think that while teams don't care about this as much because I think that the care will come, I think the Spurs have an opportunity to sneak in there this year. And if, if 500,000, the Spurs salaries right now, 500,000 would be a nice bonus for any of those players. The Spurs oh, yeah. have, a, have a very, uh, each player's salary is pretty low compared to average. <laughs> yeah, no, for, I mean, I, I totally agree with you there. And, and in fact, like I said, the, the reason why I think San Antonio could like sneak, sneak up, sneak in there, be a, um, a competitive team is just because, like, like you said, the way they started off this year, a lot of t- they caught teams off guard. They were healthy. You know, we, we didn't really know what, to, what kind of team this was. And so I think that that gives them a good chance to at least be competitive in that kind of thing. And, and it's something in there where, yes, if they're going to end up having a bad season overall, well, then, hey, it's something prideful to try to fight for early on in the season. I think there's more incentive for that as well. All right. So uh, let's go to the next details. Um, so this is important for the Spurs because they have a lot of right now um, even players on, on their current rookie contracts, but they're going to be free agents down the road. And so this is the, the change from um, extensions can be, go from 120% to 140%. So like I said, we're going to have some Spurs players coming up on their extensions in a few years from now. Devin Vassell, um, Malachi Branham, Jeremy Sohan, Blakesley. So if the Spurs see that, that these are players that they want to try to retain uh, long-term on, on their team, they can they, they don't they, they don't just have to go to 120% of the of the cap now. They're going to have that 140% increase of their, of their previous contracts. What are your thoughts on that new detail? So uh, just a quick note on that is this is for veteran extensions. So rookie oh, okay, extensions, okay, so. you can do anything already. So maybe like um, a player like Zach Collins, right? Would, that would fit? Yes. That he would fit yes. Yeah. So I think really two really good examples where if you're a cynical person, you might just say the Spurs were giving excuses and they were going to trade these players anyway. But two really recent examples were DeJounte Murray and Jakob Pertl, mm. where when the Spurs traded them, the intel that they put out there to kind of like – 
CYA was, well, you know, we really like these players and they were really good in our system, but we were only able to offer them 120% extension. And we knew they weren't yes. going to accept that because they're better than that now. So this increase, you know, it's a double increase, but I, I don't honestly, for a player like DeJounte Murray on the contract he was on or Yaka Pertl on the contract he was on, I don't even know if 140% of their last year was enough yeah. for those two players. But like you said, a Zach Collins, who the Spurs kind of rehabbed his career, like like there are going to be players where 120% was not enough, but 140% will be enough. So hmm. yeah, these veteran extensions, I think are going to get done more often. I actually would have loved to see that number even higher, but I also understand that there's a little bit of wanting to protect teams from their own mistakes here. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, so thank you for clarifying that. that again, that's the reason why I'm glad you were on here. Too, that's why I knew that, you know, you, you mean both know the CBA so that's good to, to, to um, you know, really confirm some of those details there. All right. So the next one, this is going to impact the Spurs is there's going to now be um, three two-way roster spots available. We know that right now the Spurs have two players on two ways. They have Dominic Barlow and Julian Champagne. We've seen that as this year has progressed, Barlow has gone from Austin to now the San Antonio team because they just need bodies at this point, like player play games. And so it's good to see, you know, Barlow get minutes, um, um, Champagne minutes here in these last 10, 12 games of the year uh and so now you know they're gonna have the ability to maybe use their second round pick uh in the spot like they did with barlow or maybe they even can just um you know someone pops off in their summer league they could add, add that player to their team uh and then so this assuming that i guess they're gonna add an additional roster spot i don't think they would take a guaranteed roster spot away so that so teams will go from 17 roster spots to now 18 roster spots what are your thoughts on that change about the two AX? Yeah, that's, again, really good timing for the Spurs. You know, assuming they don't touch the roster spots in a negative way on the guaranteed roster spots. Obviously, mm -hmm. if, and and I would assume we would have heard about this if this were part of it, if they increase the guaranteed roster spots, that's even better for the Spurs. But, you know, yeah. they're in this rebuilding situation. You know, a really salient point to me is Robert Covington, who I remember um, Ben Falk of Cleaning the Glass wrote a good article on when the 76ers signed Covington, there's a lot of like very cynical media kind of hit pieces out there that were like, look at the 76ers. They're signing another player that no one's heard of just to tank worse. And it was like, no, like we care about these players so that when we're good, we want to find players who are going to hit and match with those things. And like Robert Covington has been like a very vital role player on a lot of teams. And so I think every tool that a rebuilding team gets to find more rotational players for their next playoff iteration is a is a wonderful tool like how often is that two-way guy going to hit in terms of like now they're a super rotational player i'm not sure but the more like the more chances you have at hitting at that the better odds you have that it will hit so just a really really good tool for the spurs is their rebuilding um like you said as long as they don't kind of touch the roster in any other way um very fortuitous that this happened right now because the Spurs will continue to get the opportunity to like test guys around, you know, like they might take their two, two way guys this year, promote them to the main roster. And now they have three free spaces that they can use yep. mm -hmm. however they want, which is really exciting. So yeah, I think wonderful for the Spurs in terms of their rebuild. For sure, I agree with you there. All right, the last two details. Um, uh, so so the caps there's there's going to be some cap smoothing up to ten percent. Um, after each season, uh, avoiding a cap spike, so we won't see one of those situations like where Kevin Durant ended up on the Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, I, again, because the Spurs aren't really contenders at this point, that's not really as impactful for them. Uh, it's just notable that you know that, that there's there's a chance that the salaries will be going up each summer. Uh, and then lastly, uh, all NBA teams will be positionless. Um, and again, that one we don't project any Spurs players to currently to be on an All NBA team next season, but it just shows that uh, you know just 
the fact that the NBA is knows understands that yes, you know, at this point of the season, I mean, the, the, these rosters are just positions no longer traditional center, a power forward, a point guard, those kind of things. And so we even see it with the current Spurs team where Pop throws out these these different lineups, and and we don't even blink an eye at that at any point. Oh, we see the one, the three, that kind of thing. It's just like we kind of just understand uh, that's kind of how basketball is. You know, any thoughts on those last? Yeah. Two? Yeah, well, the All-NBA team thing, I think, is really, really significant uh, in a good way. You know, I think there's going to be some times where it's like, oh, this doesn't even resemble it. But does it need to resemble a team? I would rather have the All-NBA team be the 15 best players in the yes, league. Yes, yes, so, yes. 2016, the, the, the Warriors won 73 games. LeBron James won a championship. The Spurs won 67 games. The first team center was DeAndre Jordan. Like, sometimes one position (laughs) has not quite as much depth as the other positions. Like, the year where one team won 73 games, LeBron kind of tore through his conference and ended up beating the Warriors, and the Spurs won 67 games. I I would imagine there would be other candidates for a first-team All-NBA player if that were positionless. And I think anyone would say, well, the reason why DeAndre Jordan, who was really good at the time, but not – like we think now of like the All-NBA centers this year are going to be like Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis. And like obviously this is a very different tier of player, right? So like just because we have these positions for no real reason other than make it look like a real team, even though they never play together, it's not the All-Star game. Mm -hmm. Um. You have a situation where the five best players in the league were not the five first team all NBA players, which is just kind of a silly thing. So I'm very yeah. happy about this because I I would like to see what the media comes together and says, these are what we think are the best 15 players, because that is yes. more interesting than who's the best three centers, who are the best six guards, who are the best six forwards. Yeah, no, exactly. I wonder too if they would maybe do that too for the All-Star team. And they said they they are going to, but because I think that's another issue too, where players that are having way better seasons end up getting left off just because the the, the positions that the that the that the fans have to vote on and the coaches have to vote on are already filled. It's like it's just there's just not enough spots. So I, I wonder if they're gonna because like we said, details are still emerging. So maybe that that might be an an, an option. All right, Colin, our last topic here, uh, you know, so, so again, uh, um, just before we close out that segment. So again, SpursCast listeners, um, those are the, just the details that have been reported so far on new changes to CBA. Again, none of this is locked in until these actual details are written out and, and the document actually gets published. Uh, so that hasn't happened yet. We'll continue to see more details come out in the future. And Colin and I would definitely visit those once they uh, they do come out in the future. All right, so now, Colin, let's go to our last topic here. And this is the uh, Hall of Fame announcement. I wasn't, you know, for me, it wasn't too, um, you know, too surprising to see any of these, any of these players and coaches um, this list i mean these were all great players coaches so let's go ahead and begin uh the details that i got are from the actual hall of fame website so the 2023 hall of fame will be taking place this fall uh so so the announced um um players and coaches are coach pop for the spurs you know of course he's going to be in winning his head coach in nba history three-time coach five-time nba champion no surprise there tony parker six-time all-star uh, four-time nba champion 2007 finals mvp becky hammond uh he was, he was um in her WNBA, WNBA career six-time WNBA all-star two-time first team all nba WNBA recipient we know that she was also one of the uh, the first few which is in the nba we also know that she just won a title in the WNBA with with her team in las vegas uh, this past uh, this past season and then pal gasol Though these accolades are more so for his career with the Lakers, um, he, we do want to know, you know, what he did in his time. Uh, six-time All All Star, two-time NBA champion, two thousand two 
a rookie of the year where, where the notes, his accolades there. So again, I, I, the, the list isn't too surprising to me. It's going to be a really cool event to watch though. in the fall again, I really like Monobly's recently Tim Duncan's um, hall of fame celebration last year. I mean, the, the years past. So I think that it's a really cool time to see uh, when basketball is not happening. I think it's like in September, August, uh, those hall of fame inductions. Um, what, what are your thoughts on all four um, of, of uh, the players and the coaches getting in? Yeah. So very exciting. You know, I think that, um, Becky and Pow were like with the team for, you know, a good bit shorter time. And obviously like, mm -hmm. I think, I think Pow had a very positive impact on the team that wasn't noticed by a lot of fans. I think just his like leadership. And I think that his play was underrated by fans, all that kind of stuff. And Becky, you know, beloved by the fans. A lot of people were hoping that she would take over as head coach when pop retired. Mm -hmm. Um, that aside, I think that there is some level of satisfaction to see that Coach Pop plus the big three. Like this, you know, when yeah. we think about Spurs basketball 40 years from now, you know, we're going to think about Coach Pop and the big three. And the fact that they are now like in the Hall of Fame together, I think is just right. It like feels good. It's how it should be. Um, I will say the one surprising one actually on there is so with players – they have to be out of the league for a certain amount of time. I don't remember exactly how long it is. They can't be active anymore. But that's not true for coaches. And Pop has been eligible for a long time. Yes, that's so true. Mm -hmm. I, I am I am just a little bit interested in that. Um, I'm I you know he could just be like, well, I'm the winningest coach now, so I'm gonna go in. I just I'm hoping it's not a premonition of the news that none of us want to hear, but I'm a little bit worried that it is. So yeah. So that, that coming again, we don't know exactly what he's going to do yeah. this offseason. There's, there's articles written almost every day about that, especially <laughs> with the game. Like we said, five, he just had, if he does retire at the end of the season, he just had his final um, uh, home game in San Antonio Wednesday so that they're going to finish off uh, their remaining schedule on the road. And then also, of course, the, the two substitute home games are in Austin for the, for the, to end the year here. So again, we'll kind of keep an eye on that. He has announced he do this offseason but again i think that just in the fall it'll be something fun to watch uh, it's really it's just a really cool event to keep an eye on the, on the hall of fame I, I really haven't watched those in the past but the fact that like, manu recently and, and timmy was in it and now tony's gonna be in it pop becky hammond even pal uh, it's gonna be really cool to, to watch that event all right so thank you to colin for joining me on this episode of first cast and i also want to thank uh, joe garcia for mixing and producing this episode from all of us project spurs stay safe and have a great day Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.